Our scripture reading is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I like Jesus. 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 I like Jesus, but... But I don't know if Jesus loves me. I have a past. Christians are hypocrites. Jesus won't like me. I don't like Christians. I am tired. I don't like what Jesus said. I'm too busy for church. I don't know what to do about it. I don't like church. Where do I begin? I have too many questions. I like Jesus. I like Jesus. I like Jesus. I like Jesus. I like Jesus, but... Welcome to our new sermon series. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Emily. I'm one of the pastors here, and would you pray with me? Holy, holy God. Many of us come today with a lot of stuff going on. Joining in online, in person. Lord, we pray that this time would be yours that we would be open to your word and open to hear what it is that you would have us hear this day. We pray that uh, the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, our refuge, our redeemer, our savior. And it is in your name that we pray. Alleluia. Amen. Many of us have a complicated relationship with God or with church. And some of us have no idea how it got complicated. We grew up in church and after we drifted away for a while, we weren't connected for months and months turned into years and our lives moved on. Things happened. Some of us, on the other hand, know exactly when it got complicated and why. We remember the moment, the year, the day. We remember the damaging actions or words of someone who said they were Christian. We remember the damaging actions or words of a church that communicated in some way we were not wanted Or our children were not wanted. 
tragically, abuse may have been part of that story too. And often we, uh, when we have complications with Jesus, it's not because of Jesus, it's because of something a human being said or did. Today we begin a different kind of sermon series, and I'm going to use my notes more than usual. It's been a week, <laughs> let me tell you. We're calling this sermon series, I Like Jesus, But, exploring these complications and complicated relationships that many of us have with religion, with God, with church, with Jesus, and negative associations with church can be such a turnoff for folks that they shut down faith, conversation, and hope for a new relationship with it or with God. Try mentioning the word church in certain social circles or worse yet, admitting that you're a pastor and watch the conversation very quickly shift and end. In fact, when I was serving as a hospital chaplain, I was told not to wear my clergy collar because so many patients and staff had had a bad experience with church. The concern was that if patients and families saw the collar, they would put up a barrier as soon as I showed up and walked in the door to help. The objectives of this series are twofold. First, increased authenticity in our discipleship, which is part of our core values as a church relationship, discipleship, community. We don't have to look far to recognize that Christians can be real jerks at times. Arrogant, rude, judgmental, self-righteous. And thousands of people walk away from churches every year, not because of who Jesus is, but because of who Christians are. So what if we could love Jesus with all we're worth and be Christians without being jerks about it? When we, by the grace of God, can do that and be more like Jesus is usually when we get those things right, not wrong. Second objective Building relationship with people out in the community outside of these doors. That's another of our core values. Let us meet people where they are and get to know them in their complications and questions. We want to connect with people who are looking for a church. We want to connect with people who are done with church and done with Jesus. Who were hurt by church. Or by some person in the past. Let's have, we pray for a real heart for real people. Oh God, please. Because Jesus sure did. And Jesus sure does. And we want more than anything to follow him. And Jesus is already out there at work. Why are we doing this series? Did you know that about 165,000 people call Stafford County home? 
And six years ago, statistics said 60% of people in Stafford County were not involved in a church and did not see it as relevant. And by 2021, that number rose to 73% of people in the county. The number's even higher today. Statistics in another recent survey on beliefs in the county show that many people in the county believe folks in churches do not behave as Jesus would. What if we could live by the grace of God, faith in ways that make people want to move toward God and church instead of away from it? We started in January with our strategic planning team here at Ebenezer and started looking into demographics and statistics and came across this information and thought, oh my goodness, we have work to do. And we have people to meet in this community. And each week in this series, we will lift up a statement, one of the many Honest reasons over 73% of people in the county are not connected to a church. This week's statement is, I like Jesus, but I don't know if Jesus likes me. That statement can come out of our past, our regrets, shame, What we did or what someone else did to us. We wonder if Jesus wants anything to do with us. Knows our name. If we matter. This statement can come from feelings that we are less than. I remember, especially in my 20s, wrestling with that myself. And I remember hearing one night on my bed, Jesus saying, you are my beloved. And my response was not, thank you. It was really. Because I wasn't sure I believed it. These feelings can come from labels that others put on us. This statement usually comes from and is spoken from a very vulnerable place. What kinds of less than labels do we hear? Names like goody two shoes, brown noser, mean girl, mama's boy, nerd, dork, loser, wimp, geek, and a whole lot of others that I do not and would not say out loud. The labels others put on us can sometimes seem a lot louder than the names that God gives us. God has already said who we are. Loved. Accepted. Held. A child of God. Someone for whom Jesus lovingly, sacrificially died. The names we receive from God never change. They are unconditional. The theologian Paul Tillich writes that one of the hardest things about faith as a Christian is accepting the fact that we are accepted. That's God's grace. We can't earn it. 
We are accepted by God, by that which is greater than we are. It's one of the reasons that we baptize infants as part of the United Methodist Church. We mark that God loves us first before we can ever do anything about it, before we can pronounce it, before we can say it or earn it. Remember, it is unearnable. It is a gift. And we can confirm it later or we can confirm it at the same time. God's love is always unearnable. Tillich says that we simply accept the fact that we are accepted. Boy, is that hard sometimes. But when it happens, that's when we begin to understand grace. God's grace. And in that moment, nothing is demanded of us, nothing but acceptance. What does Jesus have to say about today's statement? I like Jesus, but I don't know if Jesus likes me. He tells a few stories about it. Three stories are known, the ones in Luke chapter 15, from which Vicki read for us today. They're known as the gospel within the gospel. They are parables or stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. We only read two of the three today. Um, so I hope you'll go back and read the other one later this week. Let's unpack them a little bit. Why does Jesus tell these stories? Well, some folks who believe in God at the time were being real jerks about it. They were grumbling about people with whom they think Jesus should not be spending time and with whom they think Jesus should not be sharing a meal. People they have labeled as less than. Who's doing all this grumbling? Scribes and Pharisees. And they've been grumbling since back in Luke chapter 5, much earlier in the gospel. Scribes are experts in civil and religious law. Pharisees follow a strict observance of that religious law. And they get a pretty negative reputation in the Gospels. Many were devout, faithful people. However, Jesus was hard on them for their tendency to be more concerned with strict legalism than with grace. And that's why they are grumbling. They're grumbling about grace. Jesus was welcoming tax collectors and sinners into his life and eating with them. And that was a problem because table fellowship in the first century was a symbol of welcome, acceptance, and inclusion. So Jesus' behavior was frankly shocking. In that faith community, only those who practiced your exact beliefs were welcome at your table. The religious rules intentionally separated and segregated. And Jesus trampled on those rules when he sat and ate with tax collectors and sinners. And the grumblers didn't like that one bit. Surely Jesus couldn't be serious about faith (laughs) or about the law if this is what he did. Those religious rules were meant to separate. Tax collectors and sinners were not to be welcomed at the table or fully included. Who were tax collectors anyway? 
Tax collectors were toll collectors who paid an amount of money to do a job, to collect tolls, customs fees, and such on behalf of Rome. And once that fee was paid, they were free to charge whatever they wanted to those uh, persons, who, to their fellow Jews. And they would often pad the bill to pad their pockets for personal financial gain. Toll collectors were seen by fellow Jews as dishonest traders who had sold their souls for money a long time ago and supported the Roman oppression. And Jesus loved them. He not only ate with tax collectors, he chose one to be one of his disciples. That's pretty radical. What was meant by the label sinner at the time? The rules of the faith culture in the first century, remember, were designed to separate Jew from Gentile, acceptable from unacceptable, religious from not religious, righteous from sinner, clean from unclean. In eating habits, social circles, food preparation, and more. Fred Craddock writes that a sinner in that culture was anyone in whom the legalistically religious had found something inappropriate or in violation of what they considered to be true religion, and they wanted nothing to do with them. Write them off. Scribes and Pharisees believed the best way to help a sinner was to hold up a standard, let the person know where he falls short, and exclude and criticize him until he changes to fit their mold. Scribes and Pharisees were great at following rules, and failed miserably at understanding and living grace. They valued rules over relationship. Jesus valued relationship over rules. So, in the grumbler's eyes, Jesus' behavior makes him guilty. Both because he broke some of those rules and by association. Because he's hanging out with people who did not observe religious laws. And don't you know, religious legalism is widely available still and did not fade when the first century ended. There are any number of denominational and non-denominational churches and groups that will still put the priority on rules and grumble at grace. And wish, like the older brother in our third story today, that they could control it. They think Jesus plays things a little fast and loose when it comes to grace. And we have much to learn from these three stories Jesus tells to those who grumble. We'll focus today on the first two, and I invite you again to read that third one later. It's a story you'll love it. It's a father with two sons. The younger son gets a little lost. The older sons, kind of like the scribes and Pharisees, get a chance this week to read it. Jesus begins this first story with a question. He asks, like, show of hands, which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one, would leave the ninety-nine in order to do whatever you had to go find the single sheep? (laughs) No one, Jesus, would do that. Certainly not in the first century. For several reasons, Amy Jo Levine writes, number one, no one had that many sheep. They might have had several sheep, but they didn't have a hundred sheep. This sheep owner would have been inordinately wealthy. Number two, consider the cost-benefit analysis. 
Who sacrifices 99 sheep when a single sheep is at stake? Number three, it is unlikely the sheep owner would have noticed if one of the hundred was left behind. Have you ever chaperoned one of those field trips that you take with your child's class and you're trying to count like 37 heads all the time constantly? Can you imagine 100 trying to keep up with them? No one would notice one missing. (laughs) Yet, Jesus says this sheep owner notices. One sheep is lost and the owner does whatever he has to do to find it. And when he does, he doesn't use that shepherd's crook to bring him home. He picks him up on his shoulders and carries him all the way. And they celebrate when they get there together. Jesus begins that second story also with a question. Like show of hands, what woman having ten silver coins and losing one wouldn't hunt all over the house until she finds it? We might be thinking it might depend on what the bills were that month. But in that culture, the answer would have been no one. Because in the first century, a coin was worth a single day's pay. And it would have been incredibly rare for a woman to have had those kinds of means or her own home. That would have been an insignificant, paltry amount of money to a woman of such wealth. And that would have been rare. And yet what she does when she realizes that one coin is missing, she searches the house, lights a lamp, does whatever she has to do to find it. And when she finds the coin, she invites her in Greek female friends and female neighbors to come and celebrate. What is Jesus saying with these stories to those who are grumbling? How about this? Someone who may seem insignificant to others is significant to God. Each person matters. Each of those 165,000 people in Stafford County matters. Jesus' stories don't say, I will love you if. I'll come look for you if. I want to hang out with you and share a meal if. There's no if to it. They say, I will go to a whole lot of trouble to be with you. Because you matter to me. The sheep and the coin did not, could not, need not make a change in order for Jesus, for the person in the story to go looking for them. They simply belonged to someone who loved them enough to look and care and didn't give up until they were found. First John 4 tells us God is love. God loves us first and frankly there's nothing you can do about that. Romans 8:38 and 39 tell us that you can't stop that love or change it. You can't end it. God loves you whether you like it or not, frankly. And will do anything to be with you. And I saw a beautiful illustration of this three years ago. It was about this time of year, April, May in 2020, during the COVID shutdown. I was serving another church at the time, and we had an atrium there in the church. 
And apparently, during the quietness of the shutdown, a duck moved in, built a nest, and had 14 baby ducklings. We knew nothing of this until we showed up at church one day and found 14 little baby ducklings wandering around in the church atrium. And we thought, oh my goodness, they have no water. They have no way to get out. We called the waterfowl rescue team. There is such a thing. And they came to the church and they rescued the duck and they rescued 11 of those little babies. If you've got some pictures, I think we could show one now. But we could only find 11. We searched and searched for those other three and could not find them. And we thought, you know what? 11 out of 14 is not bad. And so the waterfowl rescue team took the mama duck and those 11 ducks to a creek somewhere and let them all loose. And they went going down the stream. The next day, we show up at church and we find the mama duck back in the atrium. It was not close to get from there to the creek. We had to drive a long ways. She comes back to the atrium. 11 out of 14 is not good enough for her. She came back for those last three ducklings. She gets in the atrium Quacks a few times, they come out of hiding and come running. We call the waterfowl rescue team again. (laughs) They come, they pick up the duck, they pick up the three ducklings. We're so worried about the other 11. They drive all the way out to the creek, let the mama duck out and the three babies. And what do you know? She quacks a few times, all the other 11 come out from under the bushes. The 14 are reunited with their mom and they go swimming down the creek. That's beautiful, right? The other pastor and I who were serving there at the time looked at each other and we thought, that'll preach. (laughs) Can you imagine Jesus telling that story? And he could have started it with, what mother duck, having 14 ducklings and losing three, wouldn't leave the 11 over in the shrubs and go back to the atrium (laughs) to find the three that had been left behind? Each one matters. These are not only stories about a sheep owner, a woman, a father, and a duck. These are stories about God who loves, seeks, and goes out of the way to find. These stories say that you are, each one is seen, noticed, loved, and matters to the one who made you. And you matter to this church. 165,000 people in Stafford County and beyond matter to this church, every single one of them. Someone told me as he was leaving the last service, I have a new mission. 73% of this population, that's my mission. And we have a job to do. That's the Holy Spirit talking. That's the revival. Jesus challenged the religious grumblers of his day to turn toward those they had been judging instead of leaving them out. Who has been left behind by modern day scribes and Pharisees? By a church or by Christians? You can probably fill in the blank in a number of ways. With people you know, with people you love, with that 73%, or it might even be yourself. God forgive us, right? Christ have mercy on us. These stories call us to trade in grumbling for grace. 
These stories say you don't have to worry about the statement from today. I like Jesus, and Jesus likes me. And that is never going to change. In fact, Jesus likes me so much that he'll go out of his way to hang out with me and find me. It doesn't have to be complicated. And if you read that third story that Jesus tells in Luke 15, notice the dad came running when he saw his lost son far off. When he saw him in the distance without knowing if anything had changed. It didn't matter. The dad doesn't walk to his son. He runs. That is love and that is grace. So, let's be more like Jesus. (laughs) Welcome so fully it causes other people to grumble. Wouldn't that be fun? I want to be known for grace, not for grumbling. And it is my prayer that all will know, 165,000 and more, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus does like you. In fact, he loves you. And that will never change. Amen. And amen.